You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also, the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Hayward, which, if you haven't been, is home to the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, uh, which also has a large uh, muskie outside of it. I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. You've probably seen it in Wisconsin tourism videos. Um, I know I have a picture of it when I was five years old uh, and got to stand in it, uh, but I have not been there since. Actually, I haven't been there for a while, but I am very aware of our affiliate there um, in Hayward. So ESPN Hayward, shout out to you up in the northern part of the state. Also, shout out to my good friend Frank Madden and the founder of BrewHoop.com for joining me today. How you doing, buddy? Well, it's a Sunday night and, you know, the work week beckons. It's always a bummer, but uh, the Bucks gave us some things to talk about today, actually, and, and I guess over the weekend with a couple of summer league games, which are always worth talking about, even if they're you know cosmically insignificant, <laughs> I guess. Um, but it is a, a, a brief return to seeing live basketball in the middle of summer, which is nice, um, and probably more importantly, in the grand scheme of the Bucks universe, uh, the announcement today that the Bucks were, I guess, close to uh, officially signing. <laughs> former net, former Laker, Brooke Lopez, uh, on a $3.4 million contract. Can I just say how much I enjoy NBA TV, um, refusing to, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy that was doing the interview, just refusing to acknowledge the fact that the Bucks haven't actually officially signed him or her son. Like just straight out asking him, you know, what's it like to add this guy? And then John Horace, like awkwardly, well, you know, we're, um, you know, we're close, uh, to getting a deal signed, which is accurate. They haven't signed it yet. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some ordering that they're going to want to do with how they do these different deals. But it was just funny to me, like NBA TV, you're employed by the league. Like, how are you asking these questions when you know that it's not legal as of yet? It was, it was just, well, like, I think they, I think they, cause it's after the moratorium. So I think he can comment on them now. I, I think if it was like July 5th, then I think like they wouldn't, they flat out can't say anything, but I think, I don't know. It is a weird gray area now because it's like, assume that obviously Ursan and, and, yeah. and Lopez are signing, but obviously like they haven't made anything official. And like you said, it's probably in part because of like, timing and sequencing of these things um because of like the hard capping jabari and all that stuff but um but yeah it's i don't know it's it's kind of weird <laughs> I, I personally am glad they asked just because it's like i mean everybody <laughs> yeah, knows it for sure. it's not illegal for him to say anything so it was yeah. just like funny that like just like the language everyone had to use and like how everyone had to kind of dance around it uh it was it was enjoyable because awkwardness is sometimes fun um so i guess let's hop into brooke lopez uh I think when you look at the two free agent signings that the Bucks did uh, this this offseason, um, I think the tone that we're going to take on this one is 
quite a bit different than the tone we took on the Ursan Ilyasova signing. And I don't know if they'll be, you know, I, I think Brooke Lopez will probably be a little bit more impactful than Ursan Ilyasova, just because I think I can see a much clearer role for Brooke Lopez than I can for Ursan Ilyasova. But um, this isn't like they added a super duper star. Like they added a, a pretty solid player who as recently as, you know, not this past year, but the year before, averaged 20 points per game. Um, so like, this is pretty significant ad, um, but the, I guess it's just a matter of, like, the timing, right? Like, that's where I kind of want to start. The the Bucks get him on the biannual uh, exception, otherwise known as the Bay. Uh, so they get their Bay, Brooke Lopez, <laughs> on that uh, on Sunday, July 8th. And, I mean... It just shows that like pa- patience is a virtue, right? This is the difference between signing a deal on Sunday, July first, and Sunday, July eighth. Uh, this is this is what you get for waiting. You get a chance at a guy that, um, like I said, thirteen points, four rebounds, and one point seven assists last year. So maybe not the most impactful, but the year before, twenty points, five rebounds, two point three assists. 1.7 blocks like a guy that you know has value now that he has a three-point shot and you waited and you got good value and i like i just feel like this is exactly what we were talking about and i know there's gonna be people that are like well you know there's still questions about him as well all, all this stuff but it's like yeah there is but you didn't sign him on the first night of free agency, so you can deal with some questions. You can deal with trying to figure out how he's going to fit in and how he's going to be able to play and what he's going to do defensively. Like You can deal with those questions because you waited a week to sign it and signed him for the Bay. Like, that's, I, like, I just... <laughs> I just, to me, it feels so obvious and uh, so clear that this was a good move. And the reasons why it was a good move are also very clear. Yeah, I think this is sort of the idea of, you know, like sitting around being patient and taking opportunities as they come and, and being able to get good value later, later, you know, in free agency. Because, um, you know, especially in Brooke Lopez's situation, because the center market in particular is so saturated, um, you know, obviously some centers did sign early i mean probably the most stark example is you know javel mcgee getting the minimum um basically on like the first day or whatever it was from the lakers who i I mean i think a lot of laker fans that just looking at twitter i mean some some people that certainly like anthony Irwin and um you know others uh who covered the team were pretty pretty not thrilled that you know the net result of the the lakers center situation was that they you know basically got javel mcgee for more or less the same amount that that brooke lopez ended up getting and um you know for the same reasons that i think brooke lopez is a a really attractive piece for the bucks because you know again he can stretch the floor and he's a big body that you know maybe the bucks haven't had so much last couple years um those are the things you also would like to have, you know, around LeBron, you know, a guy who can stretch the floor and, and space up and, uh, and be a catch and shoot guy from three, which, you know, is something really that Burke Lopez only did in the last couple of years. Um, but you know, I was looking, I was looking at the, uh, um, at sort of per 36 numbers. Cause last year he obviously didn't play a ton, like basically didn't play fourth quarters at all. Like the, the Lakers sort of pretty much like always went with like Julius Randle more or less always at center down the stretch of game. So Brooke Lopez really was like a three quarter player, but still played 23 minutes a game. Um, and shot 4.43s, um, shot 35% for each of the last two years. But if you look at his per 36 numbers, 
he was at, I think, 6.3 and 6.7 threes per 36 attempted the last two years. And if you look at the Bucks' entire roster last year, um, I think I, I found like three guys who averaged more threes per 36 than that. Well, do, you, com- do you care to guess? That's comforting. Wow. Um, do, do you care to guess who, who those players are off the top of your head? One of them is very easy, who's no longer with the team. Um, but the other two maybe are, are harder to guess because they're not major minutes guys, which also says a lot, right? Because all these, all three guys are not guys who played a lot of minutes last year. Oh man, I was kind of like just crossing my fingers that one of them would be Middleton, um, but I should have known better than that. Nope, not close. Um, <laughs> man, uh, Jason Terry. Uh, no, Jason Terry only averaged five point one threes attempted per thirty six minutes. Middleton was only four point nine. Wow. Brooke Lopez, 6.7. Oh, this is more difficult than I would well, want it to be. Okay. Mirza? One, one, yes. Mirza averaged 10 by far the most. Mirza is just, you know, a complete gunner. So that, that one <laughs> that one was the one I, I guessed had to be the case. Um, but the other two, I'm just going to tell you the other two guys because they were just bit players. Rashad Vaughn, 7.3 threes <laughs> per 36. And Sean Kilpatrick, 8.1 threes per 36. So... Yeah, I mean it. It it does potentially change the geometry of the court a fair bit with um with with him being out of the mix. And you know, for reference, if you're wondering about Thon, Thon only averaged three threes per thirty six. So I mean, as much as you think of Thon as you know liking that three point shot, he really didn't take many threes last year, and obviously only hit thirty percent. So Lopez, not a guy who's like super accurate. You know, he came to being a three point shooter pretty late in his career. Only you know, basically he's shot the exact same percentage last two years 35 percent um but that's fine i mean if you're if you're that big and you can you know hit 35 percent of your threes and and be that kind of target who can pull defenses outside um that's a big deal because again like you know i think the dimension that you have with a guy like brooke lopez is you know obviously he's big enough that like if you're playing you know philly for instance and joel Embiid, and it's not like brooke lopez is going to shut down joel Embiid or something but He's not going to get steamrolled by Joel Embiid the way you know Thon Maker, Thon Maker might. Um, also, but he can I'm, also hang I'm, out on the perimeter and, and force Joel Embiid to think twice about sagging in. I'm happy you brought up Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid is a shooter, right? Oh, he only shoots thirty point seven from three. Oh, okay, yeah. So Brooke Lopez is actually a better shooter from three than Joel Embiid. Sorry, just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was bearing right. Is that Giannis, who everyone talks about not having a three-point shot, shot the same percentage as Joel Embiid from three last year. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think Lopez is Lopez is interesting. I mean, again, like uh, you know, I think there's obviously bigger picture questions about like, all right, what now with the Buck center position? Because you know, in a league that increasingly we talk about, like. Well, we should play Giannis at center more. We should play Nadia Yadar Sonali Silva lying around. Maybe play him at center more. Um, the Bucks suddenly have a very crowded center position with four, you know, I guess Thon maybe isn't a traditional center, but he's not a power forward. So you've got four guys who are only centers in the NBA at this point between Lopez, Henson, Thon, and Tyler Zeller in his non-guarantee contract, plus, you know, guys like Giannis and, and Ersan, who obviously probably should be playing more center based on the way the game is going. So there's some interesting questions there, but I think just from a value standpoint you know paying a little over three million dollars a year to get a guy like lopez who i mean obviously we don't know what's going to happen in training camp but um you know i mean lopez is 30 so you don't expect him to just like fall off a cliff at this point um i i would guess and and i would imagine part of the reason why he was willing to come to Milwaukee in the first place is because he viewed this as a chance to play you know maybe not 
35 minutes a game because he didn't even play that many minutes in in uh, Brooklyn. But can he play 25 to 30 and be a starter and actually play a more meaningful role? I think he's going to have a great opportunity to do that, especially given that, you know, we know that Mike Budenholzer wants shooting on the court. We know that he wants high IQ players. And Brooke Lopez is obviously a guy who, um, you know, look, against the Golden State Warriors in a playoff series, yeah, you're you're not going to be able to play Brooke Lopez probably very much um, because of the switching questions and things like that. But, um, well, I guess if DeMarcus Cousins was playing, maybe you could. But um, <laughs> but overall, you know, I think there, there are obviously questions about Lopez's fit and, you know, switchability and some of these other things. But by the same token, you know, for a $3 million guy, I mean, high character guy, um, a really fun character. Like, he's a guy that I've always really enjoyed, the Lopez brothers. I mean, they're really smart guys, kind of nerdy, quirky guys. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna play their role, and obviously, if, especially if they have a bigger opportunity, I think, you know, you expect him to be a pro. And so he kind of ticks a lot of the boxes that you'd expect, you know, Budenholzer and the Bucks to to want probably in a player. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for, for, for that level of value, one-year commitment, I mean, I would have happily given him probably two years um, just because of the yeah. fact that he's – probably the Bucks' best center now <laughs> so um so we'll see but for him obviously it makes sense because he gets a chance to have an expanded role and um you know for anyone who who you know back in 2008 when the Bucks picked Joe Alexander over Lopez um you know it only took a decade but uh finally uh Brooke Lopez's destiny has, uh, has been fulfilled putting on a Bucks uniform I mean the Bucks just signed their starting center for three and a half million dollars like that's what they just did. Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult to to look at that and not think that it's an overwhelming victory of a signing. And again, I understand that there's injury concerns and there's you know there's a chance that maybe he doesn't end up playing in all those games. But also at the same time, he had that year. I think it was a foot problem in 2011-12 where he missed or where he played just five games. Played one year in 2012-13, which is an all-star season for him. Then that 13-14 season, he played just 17. But since then, he's played 72, 73, 75, 74. So there is some missed games in there, but uh, overwhelmingly, he's been on the floor. And uh, I think that's really all you can ask. And I think you also have to do the job of kind of controlling his minutes and making sure you don't overplay him with, uh, you know, any concerns that you may have about his body and how it may hold up. And all of a sudden you just found yourself a starting center. And then you pair what, how many ever minutes you want to say 25 minutes, 28 minutes, whatever you get those 25 minutes and you pair those with 23 from Thon. And again, I know we said this last year that, you know, Thon could be in the 2025 range and that didn't end up happening. He didn't play enough games. But if you do have that, you have the the theoretical idea of what you want around Giannis Dettacumbo. You have a five that can shoot the basketball. And as we talk about making things easier on Giannis, obviously for him, he can go out and you know get better with his jump shot and learn how to do a little bit more of that. But also, if you just spread the floor around him, it makes things easier on him. And you have the potential with Lopez and maker to do it for 48 minutes. And I just can't really get over how big of a deal that might be uh, because it, it just seems, it seems so logical to me and it seems so necessary to me that you do that around him. Uh, and with the signing, you've been, you're able to do that. But with, with Lopez, you don't have the same concerns as Thon. They're different concerns. There are still concerns, but you don't have to worry about, Oh, 
Bounds in. That means you're going to get killed on the glass. That means he's going to get just pushed underneath the rim and dunked on. Uh, that means there's no physical presence. Like he's still a huge dude and he can still handle himself defensively on that side of the basketball. And he's not the best defender. And yes, it's going to be tough when he gets put in pick and rolls and teams are definitely going to do that to him. But at the same time, he is still a big dude. And uh, for Bucks fans that have been complaining for, uh, I mean, as long as I've been covering the team about the Bucks not being big enough, not having a true big man. Well, I mean, he's changed his game some, but uh, I think it's tough to argue that uh, the seven foot, two hundred seventy five pounder uh, isn't a true big man. Like he can, he can do all those things, and he can kind of put up with a beating from other from other players. So I do think you just have a, a lot of really interesting stuff there. And you mentioned the fact that he does all the things Mike Budenholzer likes, and um, I. I Certainly caught in the NBA TV interview that John Horst did uh, during the Bucks' second summer league game. Uh, I think his line was, "He's a passler, passer, handler, and shooter." Handler, I've never heard used, but uh, there is the the conjugation of pass, handle, shoot uh, for someone. And I think when you look at this offseason, that's what you're looking at. You are looking at uh, getting those things at every position, and I just. It just seemed, again, when he was signed, it was like, okay, in the same way that when they got Dante DiVincenzo and he did a little bit of all those things, okay, that's kind of their thought process with Brooke Lopez, that he can do a little bit of all those things. And, I mean, at the same like this dude put up 20-point seasons in the two years previous to uh, this past one with the Lakers. And, again, that was largely because he was getting a huge usage share with the Brooklyn Nets, and he was able to play more minutes than he did this past year. But, I mean, he's still able to put up numbers. Like, his per 36 from this year was uh, just short of 20 points, six rebounds, and two and a half assists, and two blocks. Like, that, you can live with that for 25 minutes a night uh, for three and a half minutes million dollars for one year like I think you're looking at something as we check off the boxes like just from a purely uh, financial kind of aspect where what kind of value are getting on the contract I think you start off by saying yeah they waited they took their time they got a good deal there and then when you look at it on the floor like there's a lot of things that make sense he's a big that can shoot it which makes a ton of sense with Giannis uh, he's a big that can pass it which makes a ton of sense with Mike Boonholzer because he pretty much insists on his bigs being able to do that and I know I, when I mentioned that on Twitter, someone said, oh, well, you know, he's a black hole, which was certainly true of his final couple of years in Brooklyn. But since then, he's been in the top, I think, in the top 70th percentile um, in assist percentage for bigs and again it's never going to be huge as a center but he still is someone who's a talented passer which fits in with what Budenholzer wants to do and uh, I think on the floor it makes a lot of sense and the one question that you have is defensively how does this guy fit into a switching and aggressive scheme and I want to say I don't really care. I would be totally okay if he doesn't fit in at all and the Bucks played more conservatively. Isn't that something I would like to see? <laughs> like, have I, am I in some sort of uh, parallel universe where we didn't watch Jason Kidd have this team be overly aggressive for all these years? And, you know, the idea of a center that has to play conservatively, isn't that sort of kind of cool, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it's interesting to me, though, 
I, I don't think there's any question. I mean, he, he should make the Bucks better offensively next year. I think that's pretty pretty obvious just because of his skill set. You mean the the three point shooting is is a really nice complementary skill, but you know, just in general, he's a high skill guy regardless mm-hmm. of kind of where he's playing offensively. Um, I think what's really interesting is defensively. You look at some of his metrics. He's a guy who has never rebound put up individual rebounding stats. He's always been a guy that has struggled to put up big rebounding stats. But when you look at the kind of net on court off court effect when Brooke Lopez is on the floor his team always defensive rebounds at a much higher rate when he's on the court versus when he's off the court um and that's obviously I think uh, that's like a Lopez brother phenomenon that you know I think we talk more about with in terms of Robin but you know you look at um you look at his the like in terms of when he's on the court versus when he's off the court and pretty much well every team that he's ever played on his team's been better with him on the court versus off the court in terms of the defensive rebound rate that they have the last three years, um, 15, 16, uh, opponents got 6% fewer offensive rebounds with him on the court. 98th percentile, uh, two years ago, uh, minus 3.3%. That was 91st percentile last year, 76th percentile minus 1.8%. Um, so you can kind of see, um, like he doesn't, he doesn't impact offensive rebounding at all. Um, but defensive rebounding, which is obviously where the Bucks have struggled so much, is an area where him being on the court, you know, and again, it's probably because, you know, again, just boxing out, taking up defenders, and you know, even though he's maybe not the guy actually getting the rebounds, um, he is a guy that that is um, that is helping you win battle of the boards, which I guess is maybe a little counterintuitive because he doesn't get defensive rebounds himself really. Um, but you know, again, you look I mean, at just think about it. He's seven done, feet it's... tall, two hundred seventy-five pounds. Like, no matter what, yeah, what <laughs> he's just a big dude, and teams have to deal with that. And that means he can, you know, shoo off potential offensive rebounds from opponents. That means he can hold people at bay because he is just a mountain of a man. Yeah, and I think the the other interesting thing is um, when you think about, like you mentioned, like pick and roll. I mean, the thing is, he can be actually, a, I think, a very good pick and roll defender if used just as a a typical kind of conservative zone drop guy. Um, and again, you look at, and these are numbers all coming from cleaning the glass again. Um, you look at, again, what happened when he was on the court. For the last six years, teams have basically not, teams have basically, when he was on the court versus when he was off the court um, in Nets and LA, opponents shoot notably fewer shots at the rim and a ton more shots from mid-range. So Deterrence. Um, you know, you look at, Exactly. So, so again, he's not going to switch. Absolutely. If if you have to, if you need a switchable defender, he's obviously not that. You can't play him that way. Um, but you look at in terms of opponent sh- frequency of shots at the rim. Every year since twelve thirteen, he's been. Uh, he was ninety second percentile, ninety fourth, ninety second, ninety fifth. 90, uh, 69th percentile the last year in Brooklyn. So drop off a little bit there, and then last year eighty seventh percentile. So again. You know, again, these are the kinds of things that it's like hard to to look fine in kind of the regular numbers. I mean, obviously, he's, he's always been a shot blocker. He's always been a solid guy in terms of racking up blocks. Um, but just in terms of, you know, just not even allowing teams to to get shots at the rim. I mean, that's obviously been a huge problem for the Bucks. is just they've given up tons of shots at the rim. And so if you have a guy who can help to deter that, and you play him in the right way, um, you know, cut down on those rim shots. And you look at, you know, his impact on opponent mid-range jumpers. Um, and this is the reverse here, so so a low number is better. But over that same period, starting in 2012-13, this is again this is an impact on opponent frequency of mid-range jumpers. So you want to force these shots, obviously. Fourth percentile, 
zero percentile, fourth percentile, second percentile, seventh percentile, 17th percentile. So last year, a little bit up. But again, each of these years, opponents are shooting three anywhere from three to seven percent more of their shots of their total shots are coming uh, on mid-range shots versus everything else which is obviously again like those are the shots where you, that you want to force and um you know a bit of a mixed bag generally fairly decent in terms of um fewer uh threes allowed but but obviously you know he's not directly impacting that stuff so much but but yeah i mean again i think there are ways that you can use him to build a, a solid defense but it, again you know this is a question because obviously we've heard about Budenholzer being a more aggressive defensive style coach um you know Burke Lopez is not going to be trapping 25 feet from the basket. And nope. if he is, then you're using him wrong. <laughs> um, but I think there are ways to use him effectively and just sort of, you know, a, a more of a zone drop type way, which again, I mean, John Henson was not like trapping all the time in previous years. You know, they, they obviously, you know, used some, some more conservative style approaches at times. Um, and with Burke Lopez, you, you have to do that. Um, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I think, you know, again, like um, it does, it does change the philosophy a bit, right? Because you know, if the Bucks were going to be that switch everything type type team, then I mean, you could still do that with Thon on the court. Um, you're just not going to do it with Brook Lopez. And again, I mean, I think the main thing is, you know, again, conservative is fine if it fits the scheme and the personnel. Um, but you know, again, like I think you just need to be smart about how you use it. And um, obviously, the big question I think now is, and I don't know if you had any thoughts on on Brook Lopez, but I think probably the most interesting, more, just as interesting as like Brook Lopez himself is, you know, what is this, what is this sort of chain reaction of what this means for the rest of the roster? Whether it's the centers where you now have you know four traditional centers in the roster plus Giannis and, and Urson, um, and also obviously Jabari Parker because adding more money to the cap does does potentially have some some impact on what Jabari Parker can be paid as well. Yeah, I do think it, it does kind of become interesting there. I, I would say I don't have really any other thoughts. I think uh, with Brook Lopez, the sign was a win. Um, and it is, I, I'm not going to say a lesson, because this is something that's already known. Wait in free agency. If you don't, if you're not going after a max guy, wait. Don't do anything. Just sit there and let good players come to you, and this is what happens. Uh, you get a player like Brooke Lopez. So um, to me, that's just like the biggest sign of all this. And obviously, we'll get a better idea of how Brooke Lopez will be used and you know how he fits in with this roster and all the things that he can do as we actually get to see this team play. But uh, to me, that just seems like the overwhelming uh, lesson I see from this. So um, how it affects everything else, I, I think there's some... There's some idea to me that uh, is just kind of funny where people, multiple people asked me this on Twitter where it was, oh, this signing for sure, this is, I mean, this means that a John Henson move is coming. Like, you know, this this would be the, the, the start of this chain reaction of moves. And it's like, I don't think you needed to get Brooke Lopez to know that you should trade John Henson if you can, right? Like, I don't think that. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the whole league was like, huh? They want to move. They want to move John Henson now. Who knew? Because they've been trying to move John Henson for the last two years. Um, they understand what that contract is, and they understand that it's not very good, um, and they understand that it's too long, and people aren't going to take on those years. So, uh, throughout much of this off season, they've been ready to move John Henson. It wasn't like, oh, you know, now that we got a John Henson deal lined up, we can sign Brooke Lopez. 
I don't think that's the way it went. I think they knew they could sign Brooke Lopez, so they signed Brooke Lopez, and they will continue to try to get rid of John Henson because that's what they've been doing now uh, for a long time. So I think the the only way that to me it impacts the center this the 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 center uh, depth chart is do they become more desperate to move John Henson? Because I think this entire time they could have moved John Henson if they want to include a pick, but you don't want to include a pick. You don't want to include an asset. No. Uh, you would just prefer to get rid of him. Um, and it, until that moment, you know, use him as a player that can be uh, helpful at times. So uh, that would be the only thing to me that kind of changes. Otherwise, you're just... I, I think you don't... In an ideal world, you don't have to just not guarantee Tyler Zeller's money. Like in an ideal world, you get to have him for the second year uh, so that you can feel a little bit better about giving away an asset for how many games did Tyler Zeller get to play? 20 some. Um, Cause that wouldn't be ideal. And also you get to have a backup center for $2 million. That's actually like a good deal as opposed to a backup center and John Henson for $10 million, which is not a good deal. Um, so uh, to me, I, I just think it's going to be the same as it ever has been. Like the, the bucks are, are going to hope that they can move John Henson and not pay all that much to do so. Um, and just see if they can wait out, wait it out to a point where then they can guarantee Tyler Zeller. And then you have a big man rotation of Lopez maker and Zeller. And I think you feel pretty good about the center position because you're spending a combined, Oh, I don't even know what Don's number is. Um, you're spending a combined eight to 9 million. Um, that feels pretty good <laughs> to have Brooke yeah. Lopez, Thon maker and Tyler Zeller for eight to 9 million, as opposed to, uh, Lopez, Henson and Maker for seven to 16, 17, somewhere in there, um, that would feel a lot better. So uh, to me, I, I don't know if anything, if this is foreshadowing for any other sort of move. Um, I, I just think maybe it creates a little bit more urgency in figuring out uh, how you're going to move those guys. But I do think you can walk us through some of the cat minutia to see how this fi- figures into other things because, you know, maybe that Tyler Zeller money does come in uh, into effect when you're trying to figure out if you need some more money for Jari Parker. Yeah, I mean, to me, whether Zeller is released, I, I mean, I think you. It depends on on Zell on uh, Jabari's situation and, and Henson whether you can move him. I think you, you probably want to hang on to Tyler Zeller because there's no like imminent guarantee date yeah. um, on him, so there's no, really no reason to to ship him out unless um, you need to make a move that that would otherwise put you up against the apron. And again, the apron um, is the hard cap number. So by virtue of the fact that the Bucks are using the uh, non-taxpayer mid-level exception on Ursan Ayasova. If you do that, then that basically means that the league says, okay, if you're using more than the taxpayer mid-level, then you cannot be a taxpayer, or at least you can't be more than $6 million over the tax. So basically it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of, well, if you're going to use that amount of money from the mid-level, then you have to stay under uh, the tax level plus six million which is about 129.7 million so that becomes the de facto hard cap um again like it it, you know it having a hard cap like it even with jabari's situation like it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you are like you know definitely going to lose um jabari parker um i think again like it would have been 
way better to get Ursula Yusova at a taxpayer mid-level number just for the sake of getting Ursula Yusova for a better number. Um, but on top of that, just, you know, again, there is fundamentally a greater restriction. And I don't know if it's even, in fact, like more of like a, like a practical thing so much as just other teams know that you cannot go above that yeah. 129.7 number. And it's also further complicated a little bit of the fact that well, the Ilyasova deal, and we'll see how they handle the Lopez deal, but like those deals haven't even been signed yet. I mean, they could have been signed because we're now past the July 6th moratorium deadline, um, but they haven't. And I imagine part of that is because the Bucks have basically just told them, hey, let's sit tight because, you know, again, they're going to have to sign those guys eventually. Like they're not going to be able to just sit here forever <laughs> and not sign them. Like they've agreed to these contracts. Like you can't just say, like, oh, psych, we need the money for Jabari Parker. Sorry. Um, and I don't think the Bucks want to give Jabari Parker just some monster contract anyway. But to kind of do the math a little bit, so if you if you take kind of where the Bucks are con- contractually and you try to figure out, okay, well, how much, what is the most that they could match under uh, a, you know, with their current roster? Um, if you waive Zeller and waive Brandon Jennings, which again, you know, Jennings in particular is a no-brainer. Um, but if you waive both of those guys and then, you know, what is the most you could spend up to the apron, right? This would put you still above the tax, which they don't want to be. But, uh, you know, just basically, like, what what is the most they could match? And my math puts you at about $17.7 million starting salary. Which seems so, like something they would never have to do. Like, uh, I don't know if there's a 17.7 number out there for Jabari. The only way would be, what, a poison pill where there's more in, like, the first year? Well, I mean, it's possible, you know, maybe, you know, again, I mean, this is the question, right? Like, who knows, right? I mean, this is the thing where it's like, is Sacramento dumb enough? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we've heard that Sacramento isn't really or, or is, is not really interested in, in Parker, but they obviously just went after Zach Levine. They, you know, apparently put in some protections against Levine's ACL injury that would have maybe insulated them from that. Um, and they missed out on Zach Levine. So would they want to then throw like kind of a similar type of contract, maybe shorter, um, maybe for a little bit less money at Jabari Parker? I don't know. Like I, certainly don't think it's a financially or fiscally responsible thing to do. <laughs> I don't think it makes sense with Marvin Bagley on that roster, but am I going to sit here and tell you that Vlade would never do that? No. Cause I, I mean, again, like King's going to never, yeah, never, never bet against the stupidity of, of the Kings as a franchise. So, um, again, like, could they look at this and say like, well, let's put out a starting salary of 18 million and for the bucks to now be able to match, um, you know, they would have basically 48 hours to figure out how to basically get another thing. Now, again, because they haven't signed these other contracts, in theory, they could match a number even above 17.7 because they haven't actually signed Eliasova and then figure it out, right? Which could mean various things, right? It could mean figuring out some trade where you ship out, you know, John Henson for another bads contract that is slightly less, right. To, to yep. free up a little bit of cap room this year, or, you know, you throw a second round pick onto some other deal and you trade, you know, Henson or Delvin over, you know, something like that. Right. Um, and, and long story short, like, I mean, there are ways that you could still match a humongous Jabari Parker contract, but like, let's be honest, the bucks, I mean, and, and I, to be honest, I think the biggest, I, I, I don't really understand why the bucks have been as, they haven't even like really been seeming to put up a charade so much about wanting Jabari Parker. Like, yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't seem like they're even trying to fake it at this point. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a little weird, and and I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more kind of public chatter from Jabari's camp. I mean, John Horst said on NBA TV tonight that oh, they're talking Jabari's camp every day, and, and you know, unlike Danny Ainge and Marcus Smart, who apparently like you know Marcus Smart saying oh, I haven't heard from them at all, and who knows, right? Like that could be BS as well. But um, so they're like they they did say that, but I mean, dude, like. <laughs> you're not exactly making you're not exactly doing a lot to scare off a potential you know restricted free agent suitor for Jabari Parker um, and so it's a bit of a weird situation and I think if you know if a team like Sacramento did come along and, and make a huge restricted offer sheet I think part of the I would I mean again like not that I'm obviously not somebody who believes Jabari is like worth 20 million dollars a year um, but I think you know it would be a little bit of a shame on the Bucks type situation because I feel like they just haven't been playing the poker game particularly well and again maybe i'm maybe that won't matter uh, maybe they don't have to um or maybe they are and aren't interested and they don't they don't need to be like trying to scare other teams off um but again like until the situation resolved like we're all kind of flying a little bit blind as far as like what's going to happen to him so uh, long story short i mean there is a lot of flexibility to, to match a really big offer um the problem is if you do match like a 17.7 million dollar offer sheet yeah, you can fit Urson and Brooke Lopez under the, with their current deals under the cap, and you know you're you just have to wave Zeller and Jennings, and you know otherwise you you don't really ha- you don't have to make any other moves to make that deal happen. Um, but you're then, then six million over the tax. Now in November you expect to get Mirza Toledovich off your books, so that would wipe off three and a half million. So then you'd be about two and a half million um, over the tax. So in practice, you could argue well, actually the number. The starting salary, and again, it could be Jabari, or if you do a sign and trade, it could be the number, you know, the, the salary that comes back for him. Um, really, it's 17.7 minus 2.5, because that's the difference between 6 and 3.5. Um, so 15.2 is maybe the more accurate number of, you know, that's the number you, you don't want to go above, because then you're above the luxury tax, even after the Teletovich deal is wiped off the books. But, um, Again, like, do I think the Bucks are going to come out of this giving Jabari Parker a contract that starts at fifteen million dollars a year? No. Um, do I think maybe another team at that number might? Yeah, but again, I I don't. Let's say this: I could certainly see the Bucks not matching a Jabari offer sheet or or doing a sign and trade. Well, I could see the Bucks not matching an offer sheet where it's less than a number that you know, where it's a number that they could match if they wanted to. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if you know it was it was a number under what would hard cap them and they would still they would still not match. But again, like as of now, there's obviously hasn't been a market for Jabari at that number. And at this point, you know, it doesn't look like it's Chicago um, with the Levine signing. Mm-hmm. So it's really like Sacramento, Atlanta, and I think Atlanta's probably too smart for that. Um, and Atlanta and, and Sacramento again I don't know so then that kind of puts you back into the realm of like well maybe you know the, the ideal situation is always if you're not going to keep him then then you know a team that doesn't have cap room but likes him at a certain number um, and maybe Jabari is willing to go for for a you know quote unquote <laughs> discount right 12 13 or, or whatever and at that price you they're also willing to give you something of value in, in return for a sign and trade so anyway I'll, let me I'll pause there but um, I think there's certainly implications for for Jabari Parker, um, but I don't. I would not go so far as to say like, oh, well, now that you've signed Brooke Lopez, like you, Jabari's gone, like you can't keep him because there are still ways. But again, I don't know if 
the Bucks would necessarily do it, even though they would have ways to to match a, a Parker offer, uh, offer sheet that would be still on the high end. So uh, essentially, to simplify all that down, fifteen point two ish is like probably the max that the Bucks could match. Obviously, they can go over, but that would be um, about as far as you'd really want to go is fifteen point two, and again, it's going to be. <laughs> This I gotta say the Jabari Parker stuff is really frustrating because there's not really news on either side. Uh, the most news we've heard is that they're talking. <laughs> That's about it. They're in conversations with each other. Uh, they they're both hoping to figure out a way to to make this work. Uh, but that's all we're hearing. We're not actually hearing anything more than that. So it, it just becomes kind of this staring contest. And uh, unless unless you factor in the the, the social media uh, investigative PI work that people are doing, where and again, like I I, I tweeted a comment about this. I, I don't. Again, I have no idea um, what the reasoning is or whatever, but someone did tweet at me that Jabari Parker had unfollowed the Bucks and Giannis on Instagram. And I mean, when I go to Jabari's account, he is indeed not following the Bucks nor Giannis. He is following many other Bucks players and and uh, some members of the Bucks staff. I have no idea if that is something that he just did. If there is some greater significance to that, if this is his little passive aggressive way of telling the Bucks, I don't like you anymore, um, or or what? Um, the Bucks. It looks like the Bucks are also not following Jabari, which I don't know if that means that Jabari like blocked them on Instagram or something, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so in the absence of like actual sort of like real reporting, like we're we're left to sort of read the social media tea leaves, which you know. Again, you know what? Is, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah, well, um, I mean, but it wouldn't shock me because we know Jabari's, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me if this was actually something Jabari did as some sort of passive-aggressive thing, but who knows. But I was going to say, like, one, I'm not interested in talking about it. But two, in the world where I am interested in talking about it, this can only look look bad on one party, right? Like, if Jabari unfollowed the Bucks and Giannis... Wouldn't that say something more about Jabari than the Bucks? <laughs> um, it, maybe all of that stuff uh, that was getting spread by a water carrier uh, about Giannis being <laughs> jealous of Jabari Parker or whatever it was. Like, so absurd, so absurd. Maybe it's the other way around, that the guy that isn't better than Giannis is jealous of him. Like maybe that would be the way uh, it would go because that would be the only logical way that things uh, would flow in any type of relationship like that. So I don't know. Like I, I, I always struggle with like the Instagram following and Twitter following because like, I don't have a database. Um, I, I, I will tell you this and maybe this means I'm a bad reporter. Um, but I do not currently know which bucks players, every bucks player follows on Instagram twitter facebook i don't know who's in who's top eight on myspace like i don't know any of that um, <laughs> oh man yeah deep deep social media cut there maybe i should keep track of all that stuff but i don't so um until i do start tracking that like i'm just not gonna really worry about any of that and uh, I, I just think I bet, I bet you i bet you i bet you jabari does not follow the bucks on myspace <laughs> That, oh, I, I would be willing to bet money on that. that that's a tough blow. That's a really tough blow. Um, but tough blow. Uh, tough. I guess just as I think through all of this, it, I, I'm, I think we're getting closer and closer. And again, um, I, I'm kind of, 
curious to watch as Bucks fans go through this. Like, I was prepared for this to take a month, and that's not ideal for someone that has to record a podcast every day because, well, then that means I have to talk about it every day, um, or at least close to it. But I was prepared for this to take a month, so I just think it's going to take a while, like I've said for the entirety of the time that we've talked about this. And I think as that happens, you get closer and closer to that QO, and I just continue to think that the QO is bad for everyone. Like I, I don't see how that's that's good for anyone. And I do wonder if by the time you get to the end of it, like, is there a save face option for either of those sides or does it become toxic enough at that point that there just isn't one? Like, is there a, like a one plus one for Jabari at uh, eight to 10? Like, is that, is that something that, you know, he would still be willing to sign because it does give him some more money. It does give him some more security and it gives the bucks a team option for that second year. Like, is that something that both parties uh, could, could agree upon and would be amicable enough at the time to do so? I I don't know, but I do think uh, the longer this goes on, the, the bigger that question becomes because I would guess that feelings uh, from the Jabari Parker, Parker camp would continue to get hurt the longer the, this goes on. Like we saw Zach Levine this, I mean, this weekend say how disappointing he was that the Bulls didn't show interest first. And uh, the Bulls matched that deal. <laughs> the Bulls paid him that 80 million or 78 million or whatever it is. Like the Bucks haven't even had to like think about matching an offer. And uh, sure, they've talked to him, but if. If it goes on for that long and the Bucks haven't offered something substantial, um, then I don't know how, how do you try to try to fix anything from that, or how do you try to go forward from that if you do have to sign a qualifying offer? I, I think that's where it all becomes interesting. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you know the, the general sentiment that the qualifying you know every day that goes by the qualifying offer becomes a little bit more possible. Um, and that's I agree. I mean, it's a bad scenario for everybody because again, I mean, I think we've said it a bunch of times, but you know, again, it's he's he's not going to be happy. You you know, we already saw last year. I mean, he was a distraction with what he was saying to the media, like in the in like during the playoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think you know, again, like you don't want that type of vibe in your locker room. I mean, um, again, like a happy Jabari, I think, is a very nice person and whatever, but. Um, I don't know what I can't t- I can't tell you what he would be like if he's coming back on a four million dollar qualifying offer and you know if he's pissed off at the franchise and potentially uh, blames teammates or I, I don't know I have no idea but that that's not a good situation and um, and I don't know I mean that's kind of sort of a thing like if if we got sort of down to it at the, at the end if there was nobody willing to give him um, a contract no one was willing to do a sign and trade for him. I kind of wonder, like, is there a scenario where the Bucks just basically say we just don't, we don't even want you on on the qualifying offer, and just go be an understudy free agent? I mean, that's, I mean, I think that would be the ultimate, like, you know, the Bucks just completely misplayed it, and you know, got literally we getting nothing for it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, we're not there yet, but I mean, nothing would really surprise me um, because, again, like. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just a tough situation, and and again, I think at this point, like the odds of you know getting I don't know. It just feels like the odds of getting Jabari on like a number that the team would be happy with slash Jabari would be happy with, or getting real value in a sign and trade. I don't know. I just 
like I just again like if if there isn't real interest in him then I mean how much are you going to be able to extract even if he doesn't take a big contract from somebody else so it's tough but I'd also say this like I mean if Jabari thinks that like taking a qualifying offer like I've heard this suggestion like oh he'll take the qualifying offer and he'll come back and like you know have a big season and then go and get a big contract I mean he's on a qualifying offer like I mean, he's not going to start. <laughs> I don't think. No. I mean, you know, like if he's if he's like going scorched earth on the Bucks, like he's going to be a six man, and you know, like he's not going to be put in a position to like put up some huge numbers and finish games and do these kinds of things. And that's why, again, I think you potentially just get into a really awkward situation because <laughs> if he's not if he's not a part of the future, then why? You know, yeah. I mean, again, like he's he's always gotten minutes in part because of his potential rather than just his production. Um, you know, especially his defensive issues. So I don't know. And I just don't trust that. I just don't trust that he would come in and, and channel that like anger into something positive. Right. Which is sad to say, but I mean, we saw that last spring that he, you know, he did for a couple games, but I don't know. I just don't know if I can, you can trust him to do that. Yeah. I, just, I, I, I would agree. I keep hearing that, you know, there's this alternative where he does sign the qualifying offer and it means he has, he comes out and he has something to prove. And, you know, he, he's just this kick-ass Michael Beasley, sixth man, like the richest man possible, Michael Beasley, and he's killing it. And it's just like, what have you watched that would suggest that w- that's going to be what happens? Like I, I don't see it, and I'm not sure what in his his previous game and his previous play in the first four years of his career would suggest that. So I, I would agree. I, I I don't see that, and again, maybe uh, I just can't see it, and that's because I I hold certain beliefs about his defense or um, his attitude or whatever, but uh, I don't know. It's just something that seems kind of illogical to me. But the good news is, Frank, we have weeks to talk about it because this is going to take a long time. So we can talk about Jabari literally at any moment. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Summer League tomorrow. Uh, the Bucks have their third uh, game yeah, their third round robin or pool play, whatever you want to call it, game uh, before the tournament starts uh, later this week. So we can talk about that and anything else we saw interesting in Summer League tomorrow. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you then.